Hello from sunny Austin, Texas, and welcome to the Healthcare Soothsayer podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Bonnie Clipper, and yes, I'm a nurse. I have worked for more than 30 years as a nurse, chief nurse executive, innovation strategist, and speaker. I have taken the message of Nursing Innovation International and look forward to continuing this message to transform health. This podcast will bring you thought leaders and ideas that you may not have otherwise heard from. Enjoy the show. Today with me, I have Dr. K.T. Waxman, Associate Professor at the University of San Francisco School of Nursing, Editor-in-Chief of NAQ Journal, Director of California Simulation Alliance, and Past President for the Society of Simulation in Healthcare. Dr. Waxman, thank you for being here with me today. Thank you so much for having me, Bonnie. And I was hoping today we could talk a little bit about the space that you're in and what you see coming down the road or around the next corner. And specifically, I want to get your perspective on how technology is going to change the game for nursing education. So tell us what you see that looking like. Oh, well, I'm a, I've been in simulation since 2004. And back then, it was really all about mannequin-based simulation, and we were really trying to define what that looked like. Now, we are moving into virtual reality, artificial intelligence, and I think, actually, I know it's here to stay. During the pandemic, we, uh, as simulationists, had to pivot very quickly when we had no clinical placements. Hospitals said no students can come in, so we had to do simulation in a virtual method which was computer-based, which was using trigger videos, things like that. I think that the schools and hospitals that have integrated virtual reality have had significant uh, positive outcomes. I heard yesterday a group from Purdue on a webinar talking about the nurse practitioner program and how they have Oculus 2 glasses for all of their students, and they have a program on intubation. They were able to have their students intubate as many times as they wanted in the VR method. And instead of coming into the lab at a certain time to just practice one or two times, these nurse practitioners are solid in intubation at this point because of the advances we have made in virtual reality. So I really believe in, for, in terms of technology that it's not necessarily going, going to be the plastic that we're going to be looking at anymore. It's all going to be moved to VR and AI. You know, I think that that is spot on. And you and I have had conversations about how do we help change the way nurses are educated? Because let's be honest, while it is changing, it's still also very traditional and what I might call old school in the approach. So I think that's a perfect example of how virtual reality is going to change our ability to educate nurses. When you think about that, how can we import things like virtual reality into our healthcare systems and our hospitals to also continue that work? Because there have to be opportunities for orientation, onboarding, annual competencies, cross-training, other things. What do you see that space looking like? It's interesting. We just did a, a survey of chief nursing officers in California, and that work will be published in Jonah this month. 
to determine how simulation is being used in hospitals. And really, it's about team training. It's about critical incident training, low volume, high risk kinds of things. In situ, simulation is being done on the unit rather than people having to go to a lab. Uh, Staff are being trained in simulation through simulation for this team building, role clarification, crucial conversations, things like that. So I think VR will enter the hospital soon. It's all, it seems like it starts in the schools and then it ends up in the hospital. Simulation started out in schools of nursing and now it's heavy into hospitals. And we, we can learn from that because we want our students to be trained the way the hospitals and health systems are, are going to utilize them. So academic service partnerships are very critical, segueing into that really making sure that students and staff are trained together is 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 critical and simulation is a great modality for that um you mentioned about the way we're training and and the way nursing is i agree that we should perhaps blow up the way that we have been educating nurses uh for the past century i think that we're still living in an old mental model of the 1960s thinking that a student needs to go to a hospital for a clinical experience, when in fact they may get there and they may only observe. They may not be able to give meds. They may not be able to even touch the patient, depending on the scenario. And yet our boards of nursing say that we need X amount of hours in direct patient care. We would like to, I think, define what that means. We could use direct patient care with a standardized participant in a simulated environment to guarantee a clinical experience that they may not get in a hospital. So I think the whole thing needs to be redefined. Well, I would completely agree with you. And and we know that the boards of nursing, many of which have sort of arbitrarily selected a set, a, a number that said, this is the number of clinical hours you need just because. So we know that there's a little bit of um, discrepancy there and not always good research behind what's why what state has chosen what number. So clearly this is an area that's ripe for disruption and transformation. What? Uh, go, go ahead. I was going to say just to your point, in, in case the folks don't know, um, there are 17 states in the U.S. that allow up to 50% of simulation and there are two that allow 30%. There are seven that allow 25%. And the remaining 26 have no regulation on simulation at all. So I believe that it needs to be standardized. And the NCSBN has done a lot of work on that. They've done research on the topic. Yet the states govern their own um, regulations. And they haven't really clearly defined what simulation is. So I think there's a huge opportunity in the future for us to get together um, as states and really define what simulation is, define what the percentage is if necessary. But I really believe that it's up to the faculty and the school as to which methodology works best for their students to meet the learning outcomes. It shouldn't, they shouldn't be told they have to go to the hospital when the student may be just in an observation mode when we can guarantee it in simulation. Well, absolutely. And would you also help to sort of educate us? There are um, differences in the research that shows how virtual reality is, in fact, more effective, helps people remember longer, be more successful, and it does it in a compressed time frame. Will you talk a little bit about that? 
Absolutely. I, the, there is definitely research to that effect, and you're really, um, your brain thinks that you are with a real patient. So with VR, it's, it's really embedding that into your brain so that when you do see a real patient, it's like you've done it 100 times already. Okay. People think it's costly. Okay, so it costs $300 for a pair of Oculus 2 glasses. So let's invest in that so that our outcomes on the back end are going to be better. And that's, that's, there's always a barrier there on, on cost and from our board's standpoint, not really understanding the impact of, of these types of technologies on our learners. Yeah, I think, you know, you sort of, you scratched an itch on that for me because I I also, I'm 100% on board with you, right? So I too believe that in nursing school, every student should get an Oculus or get a headset and they'll be getting their content sort of pushed out to them so that they actually can can absorb that, can study it, can learn it differently, along with so many of the hands-on and those clinical-based experiences will be just, just pushed to them. And certainly in doing that, you have the ability as the educators to look at anything that you want to measure. So how many decisions did they make before they made the right decision? How long did it take a student to actually solve this particular scenario? How did they do following the sequence of steps in, as you described earlier, intubation or in ACLS or whatever it might be? So we can measure every step in a very different and more compelling way, which I think allows us to make education more effective by focusing on the different pieces and breaking it down very much the way that Olympic athletes now are trained on the very micro pieces of their um, their sport and their activity, and then putting together the perfect steps in the right order. Exactly. And, you know, that's really deliberate practice. And we, medical schools do this a lot. You cannot move to the next level until you can actually put that CVP line in or whatever it is they're doing. Deliberate practice over and over and over, doing it more than once. In nursing, you you check, if you get it right, you get a checkbox and then you move on, Right. So we, I think deliberate practice is very important and that's really part of simulation. And, and, you know, in a broad sense, it's simulation is the umbrella. VR is one component. Um, we've got task trainers. We've got hybrid simulation. We've got mannequin based high fidelity. We've got standardized patients role play. So I think that, that when we look at this broad picture, that there are different modalities within simulation that meet the needs depending on what the objective is. So if you had a message that we could take forward as sort of a nursing profession to help our boards of nursing and NCSBN understand why these modalities, why the current modalities need to change, why we need to go faster in terms of tech adoption, particularly in the AR, VR, uh, mixed reality worlds, how would we craft that message? What, what would you say to, to those bodies? To be open-minded and defer to the experts. Uh, we have a completely different generation of students now who are you know, digital uh, natives who expect this kind of a thing. And we have faculty that are on the other end of the spectrum who are afraid of technology. So I think that brings up another point. We need more faculty. There's a faculty shortage. 
We need younger, innovative faculty, but we can't w- draw them in because the salary gap is, is so significant between service and academia. So it, it is going to be an ongoing problem. Um, I think that we need to decentralize and allow schools to use whatever modality they need to meet the objectives. And some schools are going to be further along than others. And the board has to be okay with that. And it's going to take a lot of time right now. In California in particular, we are at 50% simulation in med surge and in the pandemic until the end of the academic year and up to 75% in OB, PEDS, and mental health. That is an emergency waiver from our governor. Once that ends, we're going back to 25 unless we as a community can convince them to leave it as is because we have evidence to support that it actually works. So that's pretty incredible. And and you touched on something that I think is a little bit indelicate. And in nursing, we so often have the wink and the nod and we smile about this. And yet it's difficult for us because we all have such respect for our colleagues, but there are different mindsets and different ways of thinking for our demographics, right? So like, like, let's be honest, we we have a lot of folks within nursing across the whole spectrum of demographics, everything from sort of more tenured uh, senior boomers to now we're starting to bring on our Zers. Millennials, Zers, young Xers, very open-minded around technology and just really leaning strong and heavy into using tech first as a platform. And then the complete antithesis of that on the other end is really high touch. We can't use technology. It has to be human, hands-on, people first. Someplace along the way, we're going to have to bridge this gap because it feels as though we're holding ourselves back. Do you have any kind of tips or thoughts on how we can do that? Well, you know, during the pandemic, we had to pivot and utilize these methodologies, and we have outcomes to show that they actually work. I heard you have a colleague that's got a pretty strong opinion back there. Exactly. So I have been telling everyone to, to write everything down that they do. Save all of your outcomes so that when we have to go back to the old way, we can say, no, we're not going back to the old way. And as a community, we need to do that. Additionally, hospitals have less clinical slots now. They have decreased um, their census and oh, some hospitals are closing because of the pandemic. Some hospitals will not reopen. There are mergers, acquisitions. We have students that need to be placed in hospitals, absolutely, but we need to place them along the entire continuum. We have hospital in home now. Lots of home care is being done that usually traditionally was in the hospital. So let's put the students in the home. Let's put students in the clinic. So let's put them along the continuum in public health and have that count as clinical rather than being stuck on going into an acute care hospital for a specific experience. And I think faculty are in this old mode. We've got to go to the hospital and we've got to check that box when in fact that experience from, you know, 1965 isn't there anymore because patients are turning over so so quickly. So using technology and documenting the outcomes during the pandemic will help us have, have evidence to show our boards that it doesn't all have to be done in an acute care hospital. You know, and what I love about what you just said is that our customers, the end users, the students, 
and many nurses are the ones asking to be taught differently. They're asking for more technology. So the irony here is that it's those of us in these services or products called schools of nursing or hospitals doing orientation that are the ones that are kind of withholding that or, or slow walking it. So I think eventually these pieces are going to have to catch up because the, the demand for these services is there. It's just our ability to supply it at this point. Exactly. And I know that students that come in to nursing school expect tech, right? So then they get the tech. Sometimes they then go to the hospital and get um, a job and they're thrown in a classroom with a PowerPoint presentation. And so I think that's why this academic service partnership is so important for us to train the same way when they get into the hospital setting or wherever they're going to work. They should uh, um, continue with that tech training on an annual basis, um, whatever the case may be, rather than go back into the classroom. And so we need to educate that. Educators in the hospitals, and AMPD is doing a great job of that. That organization is rocking. Uh, and then we need to educate the faculty in the schools of nursing and health professions as well. So it's, it's really looking at the big picture in the community and um, working together rather than just reacting and like we, we, we have done for many, many years. Like we don't need students today, but we do need them tomorrow. And then now we have a nursing shortage, right? A lot of nurses have left during this time because they're disillusioned. They can't get clinical placements. We had 14,000 nurses ready to graduate in California in April of 2020. And they, they needed less than 30 hours of clinical to graduate and they couldn't get it. That's why we had to do all these emergency measures. We had 14,000 nurses ready to hit hit the ground running and they couldn't get those last few hours. For And we had to get this whole emergency waiver from our governor. We uh, actually, it did happen, but we did lose some uh, nurses along the way. They said, this is not what I signed up for. On the other hand, we have a peak in psych mental health nurse practitioner programs because of the mental health issues that are going on. And so now at the graduate level, we have this rise, which is very interesting. But I'm really concerned about the looming nursing shortage, which is a whole nother topic. <laughs> yeah, it totally is. And, you know, I'll just pepper into this. Uh, just there was a study that was just published that was run online app based about 9,500 respondents in the month of uh, January. And what they learned is that 9% of those that responded in the sample said they plan to leave nursing by the end of 21, completely leave nursing. 18% plan to leave the bedside. So the good news is that 73% aren't going to change their nursing plans. However, 27% walking away on top of a current and existing shortage that's a problem for us. So we have to change the way we're educating, creating nurses and keeping our existing ones. Exactly. And I anticipate a lot of for-profit schools of nursing opening up over the next couple of years to keep, to respond to the demand. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I have enjoyed this time with you immensely. So thank you again for your thoughts and your insights. And where can people find you on social media? Oh, I would love for folks to follow me on Twitter. I'm at KT Waxman and LinkedIn. I'm KT Waxman. So um, please find me. Um, I'm often posting things on simulation and nursing and uh, nursing leadership. So please do follow me. 
Absolutely. And thank you again for your time today, uh, KT. And thank you for listening and be sure to use innovation to your advantage. Thanks so much for listening to Healthcare Soothsayers. I really do appreciate it. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and share it with your network. That is how we grow and learn. If you have ideas for show topics or guests, please reach out to me directly at ThoughtLeaderRN on Twitter. For information about this show or any of the others in the Touchpoint Media Network, please check them out at touchpoint.health.